You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit LAKings.com slash podcast. Down the middle, above the left circle for Firk. Just above the hash marks, down and deep now for Anderson Dolan. Centering for Velarde, now Spence. High slot, Firk shoots, score! Patrick Marty Firk! Welcome back for another edition of the Rain Check Podcast. Jared Schaffrin with Josh Schaefer, as always, recapping the latest in the Ontario Rain. And we have a great guest this week. Tyler Madden joins us, uh, one of the guys who is playing pro hockey that went to Northeastern University. So you'll hear plenty more about that when we talk to Tyler. But Josh, the Rain are an offensive machine. They're the highest scoring team in the AHL. They popped 13 goals in two games uh, against the Tucson Roadrunners, both wins. And while there's some other things that need cleaning up, they've been able to score their way out of trouble here. Yeah, and and they've looked pretty good since that New Year's Eve 4-1 loss to Henderson at home, a game that was probably Ontario's worst performance of the season. They were nearly shut out until Jarrett Anderson Dolan scored with 90 seconds to go in the game to salvage one goal. And since then they've looked pretty good. They've taken points from seven straight games. Um, And then with this last weekend, you know, you score 13 goals in two games um, and you're getting not just goals from guys like Martin Furk, who scored four goals this weekend and uh, had a hat trick on uh, Saturday against Tucson. But at the same time, you're getting goals from your secondary scorers. Aiden Dudas had a pair Johan Sodergren, after missing 22 games, came back into the lineup and scored a goal. Uh, Jared Anderson Dolan, after missing a few games, um, kind of up and down between the Kings and the rain and on the taxi squad, he comes back and scores a handful of goals. Um, so it's it's really good to see um, your, 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 the guys that you expect to score, scoring goals, like Ferk, like Tynan contributing to the offense. But when you get your secondary scorers, um, defensemen like Cameron Gauntz, um, your bottom six forwards contributing to the offense as much as they have recently. Uh, I think it's a really good position for the team to be in uh, to start the new year and getting ready to now wrap up a homestand and then go on the road for a couple games. I'd like to do as we are almost at the halfway mark of the season this week, the rain on the road, they will hit that halfway mark. I'd like to kind of check in do a little bit of a halfway home episode coming up our next episode. So if you are a rain fan and you're enjoying our podcast, feel free to send us any thoughts, comments, questions that you have. If you want to hear, you know, as we check in halfway through, feel free to send them our way. We'll do a little bit of a first half wrap episode uh, next time around. Um, And Josh really for the the rain at at this point, They, I think, you know, all of the on ice success, they're second place in the standings. They've done so many good things this year. And it's been, it's been one of the best rain seasons that you can, you know, you look back and arguably maybe one of the best teams that Ontario has seen in this history, whether it's been ECHL or AHL. But I think one of the proudest things that this organization has going right now is the LA Kings are playing some really good hockey. They're competing for a playoff spot. And there are a lot of players from this rain team that have come up and had a role in the NHL. And every single player that has come up from Ontario has looked like they can play at the NHL level. And I think for the coaching staff, obviously, but for just everybody who's working hard, it's been really cool to see so many different players play a game. And all of them seem like they've impacted and and had a role on the Kings when they've been in there. Yeah. And, and I mean, this, this goes back to even Kale Clegg at the beginning of the season when he was, when he was with the organization, he gets called up and he was slotted almost immediately as the defenseman on the Kings power play unit when Drew Doughty was out. Um, And then you get Sean Dursey's call. He is now on that top power play unit as, or or he can be on that top power play unit with the Kings, um, but he's a a power player with, with LA when Dowdy's not in. And, and that's just the defenseman that we've seen get called up. Jacob uh, Moverari gets called up recently and, and he plays in a game. And, but then you have the players like Quentin Byfield, like Alex Turcotte, who have gone up and made an impact this year. Turcotte, who made his debut uh, 
Samuel Fagimo comes up and, and he makes his debut in his first game. He's shooting the puck left and right, which I think is what a lot of people wanted to see. Someone clearly told him when you get it, shoot it. We want to see that shot of yours. And he was letting it rip. And then, of course, you've seen Arthur Kaliev and Rasmus Kupari, who played all of last year with Ontario um, out of TSPC. They've been up with the Kings all season and they've now kind of cemented themselves in that lineup, it seems. So uh, it, every player from the last, not just this season, but from that shortened year last year that has gotten that call up uh, has made an impact. And that even goes down to players, um, some of the AHL veteran guys that have been called up, like Garrett Sparks, who got that opportunity um, in, in Washington a couple of weeks ago that we talked about. Um, and he beats Alex Ovechkin and the Capitals with a couple of big saves in the final minutes. And who slides in front to block a one-timer coming in from the left circle? Sean Dursey. Um, so it's, it's, it's nice to see all of these guys get these opportunities and then excel when called up. And it's also equally impressive to see the Kings playing well with these guys in the lineup. And then Ontario with or without these players in the lineup in the AHL also stringing together wins and having a really good season uh, in the minor league as well. I don't know how, but you missed a very important player in your recap there. (laughs) And the, the one other guy that we have to mention is Martin Furk, who got into the lineup with L.A., scores, of course, in his first game. And then, unfortunately, just like almost everybody at this point, got COVID-19. So he was on that COVID list and he was out for a little bit. But he comes back in this weekend and didn't miss a beat. He was incredible. He had seven points in a two-game span and almost had eight. He factored in on on that that other uh, assist that ended up not going to him. But, I mean, just talk about not missing a beat. And he is – I know he's not the captain, and I don't want to mistake anybody for – you know, Brett Sutter, obviously an incredible leader and somebody who definitely was missed this weekend, even, even with the rain getting two wins. But, I mean – Martin Furk has a huge role on this team in, in every aspect. Yeah, yeah, he does. And it's whether it's in the locker room, whether it's on the bench or whether it's, for example, on the power play being a target man. Um, and how many times this week was he wide open in the left circle? Someone tees him up for a slap shot and he scores. But also there were a couple of times where someone looks for him from the left circle and he opts to pass in front of the net on the power play. And that's how the rain got on the board on Sunday, trailing one nothing in the first period. Marty Furt got the puck in deep, and instead of trying to do something fancy with it, he waited for a second, tossed it in front of the net for Jared Anderson Dolan. Um, and that's that's kind of the player that he is, where he can be a part of the offense. He can be a facilitator. He can be a finisher. Um, but he's also a leader in the room and on the bench. Uh, and then when you talk to him, you know, before and after games, you know, he's a he's a chipper guy. You know, he's happy. He likes he likes to talk to. But what I thought was very interesting after that that hat trick on Saturday because he played it very cool. And it seemed like it was just any other game. Not like he had just scored his first AHL hat trick that night. And the team scored seven goals. He factored into three of them. And the next night he does this and that and whatever, but he see, he played it very cool as if, all right, this is what I'm here for. And this is what I'm supposed to do. And that also goes into him scoring a power play goal and him holding his hands up to his sides. Like what else am I supposed to do? Um, so, and, and he's, been good with the Kings and even in his last NHL stint with LA he was scoring goals so it's good to see that pick up for him right when he comes back both with the Kings and then down with the rain this past week well one of the other prospects for the Kings who has done really good things this season but hasn't yet made his debut is Tyler Madden he has been one of the most consistent offensive producers for Ontario and after missing a large chunk of last year with an injury he has been one of the most consistent players. I think he's played in 29 games as we record this right now for Ontario. He's one of the team's leading scorers in double digits and goals. Uh, he's played with just about everybody in the top six right now. So it's been excellent to see Tyler Madden grow and get a little bit better this season. And we know that he's one of those guys knocking on the door. It's probably not too long before he gets a call and gets his opportunity to move up. But we had an opportunity to sit down with him and uh, hear a little bit more about him growing up and, and get to know Tyler Madden a little bit more. So we hope you enjoy our conversation. We are joined by Ontario Rain forward, Tyler Madden. Tyler, thanks for uh, taking a few minutes and joining us. No problem. Glad to be here. It's uh, been a great season for you guys. Uh, 
obviously a much different record than last year. And, and you know, we've touched on it with, with a bunch of different guys at this point on the, on the podcast about what's been different and, 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 you know, how it compares to last year. I know you didn't play a, a ton of games last year, but um, putting that all aside here, when you look at the room, I, I mean, it's obviously a close knit group of guys. You've known these guys for a little while now. What, what do you think is, are some of the things in the room that, that are, you know, making you guys successful and allowing you guys to stay loose and, and you're never really out of any game? Yeah, I think uh, in the room, at least, uh, we got a nice mesh of old guys and uh, young guys. And, you know, like you said, we're tight. Uh, we all get along with each other. And then the new guys we got this year, they f- fit in real well. Uh, Tynes, Berkey, a couple other guys that we have. So it's been really easy. And, uh, you know, w- when we're winning games, especially, it's uh, it's a really light in the locker room. So it's been good. Last year, obviously, missed some time um, and it was kind of a strange season, but uh, what were the benefits for you individually having last season to play some games in the AHL and be around the organization um, in kind of a weird year where everything seemed to be very local and all out of TSPC? Yeah, it was uh, big for me. I think I played like 14 games or something, kind of got my feet wet, but uh, I did get hurt, and I think that even helped me out a little bit too to just sit back and watch games too to kind of learn and uh, see what works and what doesn't. But uh, last year was huge for me for uh, getting those games in for sure. Take us back to your draft year, and it was, I think, uh, your first year in the USHL, so probably getting used to a new league. I know, you know, as a guy who was in the USHL, it is a transition to to go into juniors, but it was your draft year and, and you had a, a pretty good season and then you get drafted. Take us back to what that year was like and, and how big of a role it played in, in developing your game. Yeah. I mean, it was a, it was an adjustment for sure. Uh, going to the USHL from high school hockey, but, uh, it was big for me because I was kind of off people's radar at that point, uh, for draft and everything. I was ranked really low and, uh, I got a big role with uh, Central Illinois and then with Tri-City in the USHL. And, uh, you know, I, I was able to perform and uh, got on a couple people's radars for sure. And I think that's why I was uh, able to move up a little bit in that draft. From that point, you went on to Northeastern and and there's already a couple connections right there between you and Schaff with uh, with the USHL and Northeastern. But you go to Northeastern and, and you have a really great career career there. What were those few years like? for you playing in the NCAA? They were awesome. Uh, I had a great time there and uh, spent two years there. Had great coaches. Uh, Jerry Keith and Jim Madigan uh, were leading the way there. And, you know, uh, that, that was big for me too because uh, they gave me a role right away when I went in there. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to go to Northeastern was that I was going to be given the opportunity to play big minutes right away as a freshman. And uh, I think that really helped my game that they had a lot of trust in me and I was able to really develop uh, some skills while I was there too. Well, we'll get back to that and, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll have a, a quick discussion, but I didn't want to make it the, uh, the right away start off here with the Northeastern podcast, but obviously <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll get back to that. And, and I, I guess, you know, looking at, at more recently, you know, we talked a little bit about the team, but I mean, for you, you're playing with on a, on a line right now. That's got a lot of visibility, uh, Quentin Byfield, Gabe Velarde. What's it been like to, to play with those guys? And why do you feel like maybe that it's, it's clicked and worked with you guys? Yeah, I mean, I love playing with those guys. It's very skilled, very fast, and, you know, we think the game the same way, so I think it's very effortless out there with us, uh, kind of just knowing where each other are and reading off of each other. So we've been really successful here, and, uh, you know, we're still playing together, and hopefully that uh, success continues. What's that chemistry like on that line, with, especially with the play styles between you and a couple other players that you've been on a line with this year, and how does, how does that benefit you guys moving forward? Yeah, I think with that line, uh, you know, Q is so skilled and uh, fast that it's kind of like you kind of just read off of him a little bit more. And uh, Gabe is obviously one of the guys that goes down and works hard in the trenches and stuff like that. So I'm kind of just try to be there and support each other uh, on the ice and uh, different spots. But, you know, we've been uh, clip- clicking really well, so it's been good. Do you think there's been more space too? like opponents are worried about really all three of you guys bring different elements to the game and maybe you have a little bit more space to work because they're maybe their heads are on a swivel. They don't know who's getting the puck. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, that that's a big thing too. That's a good thing you brought it up. Uh, we've been getting a lot of chances offensively just because they're giving us a little bit more respect. Um, and that's playing into our hands a little bit too. And uh, you know, we, we go against the top lines and stuff, but when you're given that little respect and a little bit extra room, especially with Gabe and Q, like 
we can make plays. So we had talked with you in Arizona uh, at the rookie faceoff, and something that you had said back then was you wanted to get back to shooting the puck more. Um, and especially, you know, you get the, you get the puck on your stick in the offensive zone. You wanted to take some more shots. Um, how has that changed for you within these last few years of, of playing pro hockey in the AHL, um, in terms of your development and why, why shoot more for me? Um, I was always a pass first kind of guy and, uh, uh, leading up into college, all the way up to college. And then when I got here, I realized that the game's a little quicker. So uh, those extra passes around the net aren't usually going to be there. So it was just kind of a thing that I like to have in the back of my mind to just, when in doubt, shoot. And uh, it's been working out pretty well for me, and I'm, I'm going to continue to do it. But when the play's there, I'll make it. But, you know, the league's fast, so. I'm sure that your father's had a, a pretty big influence, obviously. Um, but what's it like to – to have him now as, as you continue to develop and try to do what you can to, to make it to the NHL, what are some of the things that, that he's talking to you about and how often are you guys kind of in communication? Yeah, we've been, uh, we've been talking a lot this year, uh, just about my game and stuff, but it's awesome having him. Obviously he's coaching in the NHL, so he knows exactly what, what I need to do to get there and uh, what level my game has to be at to get there. But, uh, he's helped me out a lot. I think one of the biggest things that we focused on and that I think I'm doing pretty well this year is just consistency. He, uh, he said that, you know, a lot of guys when, uh, when they're playing, they're very inconsistent and that's why they don't stick in certain spots or don't get opportunities. But when you're consistent to, uh, you're, it's hard not for the coach to put you on the ice. So he was known for being a pretty consistent, you know, forward as well. Um, what are some of the similarities that you see maybe between your game and his game? Yeah, I think there definitely is similarities. Obviously, he was a centerman, and uh, I think uh, our we thought think the game alike. But I think uh, I'm a little bit more offensively thinking. But I think I take uh, a lot from him when I was growing up about always being on the right side of the puck and uh, you know positioning and stuff like that. So obviously, that was something we focused on uh, in the summers and just growing up in general. It's not always offense. I guess it's you were probably super young, so it's it's not like he was necessarily coaching you when when he was playing. But have you noticed that as he's had more years behind the bench, as he's become more of a coach instead of a player, that maybe he's changed not necessarily his approach, but just the things that he's giving you different now that he's seeing it from a coach's angle versus a player. Yeah, hundred percent. I think when he was playing, he only like like you said, he only saw it one way. But now that he's coaching, he delivers it a little bit differently. Um, and it's uh, a little bit uh, more, I would say, like more information is given uh, to me instead of just telling me what to do. It's kind of like teaching me instead, kind of like that. And uh, he's able to, you know, we've done video sometimes just over Zoom and stuff, but he uh, he definitely has switched it up a little bit. You mentioned the, the Zoom right there. What's the what's the instruction or the discussions been like? Um, with your dad from a dis- from distance, you know, with him coaching and you playing down here in Southern California. Yeah, I mean, we we talk all the time, but uh, you know, we we've gotten on Zoom I think only once this year, but just did a little video just uh, when I was coming back from uh, winter break just to look at my game and stuff. But uh, it's it's been good. I mean, he's obviously busy up there in San Jose, and uh, we get to chat when we get uh, whenever we get the chance. So. When you were growing up, uh, you know, I'm sure you were in Jersey for, for a while, but then, you know, towards the end of his career, he was in different places. Uh, what was that like kind of moving around and, and, you know, seeing your dad play a little bit more as you got older? Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, a lot of people say, say to me, like, oh, that kind of sucks that you had to move around and stuff. But honestly, after the, uh, we left New Jersey, I think that was the only time I was upset moving because it was the first time. But every time after that, I just looked at it as a new opportunity to meet new people. And I think... Helped me out a lot, uh, just like growing up as a person too, and uh, obviously also hockey sense because uh, you know you play in different uh, areas, different styles of game. I played in Minnesota, Chicago, New Jersey, Florida. You know, it's just uh, it, it's, it was really good for me, and I was always around the rink too, which was awesome. So you came to the Kings organization via trade. Um, before signing any contract or anything like that, what advice did he offer you um, when that that news came to you that you'd be joining the Kings organization? Yeah, it was a weird one. Uh, I he didn't believe me at first. That I got traded when I got the call. I called him after, and he said, "You're joking." Like, didn't believe it at all. But 
after it happened, I, w- I w- had a bit, or I was uh, injured at the time, actually. Um, and, you know, he just wanted to focus on my season that year and not looking too much to, uh, to the future with the Kings yet, just yet, because we still had uh, some time left in the season. And obviously COVID hit, so it was a little bit different. But he just, he's always, you know, telling me to focus on what's like the task at hand and not looking forward into the future. Do you feel like that changed your mind as far as, I don't know if you had made it up of if you were going to stay longer in college or, you know, coming to a new organization that maybe traded for you and kind of, as you said, maybe had more of a role for you. Did that change your, your mind about what you might do after that year? Um, it was all up in the air, honestly. I, I really love Northeastern and uh, I didn't really make up my decision until like uh, after the season was over because of COVID, but uh, I didn't really have uh, any idea what I was going to do. had a bunch of discussions with uh, my coaches at Northeastern and my family and stuff like that. But uh, I knew that it was time at that point to move on. But I didn't really – after the trade, I mean, it definitely was a better place for me to fit in uh, with all the young guys they got here and the opportunity for sure. And I think that definitely pushed me a little bit towards signing after that season. So. You sign after that season, and then you come in and you get to play pro hockey with all these young guys in the organization. Um, what is it like to be a part of a group with so many players that are around the same age, around the same skill set, that all kind of came into the team, into the organization around the same point? Yeah, I mean, it's nice having uh, guys your age here, especially just to hang out with and obviously, you know, outside of the rink be around. But it's also good uh, on the ice, too. I think it's makes it a little bit more competitive and makes us all better because you know we're all battling for diff- or for the spots we want and so I think it's it's a uh, it's a good mix of compete and also a lot of good friends here so you mentioned friends uh, everybody is very close uh what are some of the things that you might be doing outside of the rink uh everybody's near the beach uh, what, are, what are some of the things you're enjoying about being in LA oh actually yesterday me and a couple of the guys went to Trump to play golf uh so we go, we go golfing a lot, and then we also go to the beach, play volleyball, uh, a couple of different things. But, you know, we're always hanging out, whether it's cards, uh, you know, we play poker sometimes. But, you know, we, we always find something to do with each other, so it's pretty fun. If you're on the beach, are you sitting on a chair or are you sitting on a towel? Chair, for sure. <laughs> there you go, another <laughs> chair. I can't believe I'm so late to this. Like, how I think have people, I never figured this some out? Some people in this area, they, they just sit on a towel. I don't understand that's, it. That's too uncomfortable for yeah, me. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah. Chair is much more comfortable. I'm, I'm from here, and, and, I, and we talked with Alex Turcott a couple months ago about how he picked up the chair very quickly. I'm from here. I hate sand. How did I not figure this out? <laughs> yeah, me and Turk's got the same chair. We actually have, like, this uh, camping chair. It's not even a beach chair. It's a camping chair. We sit in those and uh, hang out all day, so. You know what? I also have a camping chair yeah. when I'm on the beach, actually, because I mean, I, especially with you know how many times I've moved around, I gotta have something that's portable here. I can't, uh, yeah. you know, you never know when when you're going to a new city, when you're going to be somewhere else, and you got to make sure you got a portable chair. So that's uh, that's a good <laughs> that's a good move right there. I say this every episode, but next time I'm bringing the chair, and I'll I'll be ready to go. Yeah, well, we've had so many games lately. You haven't been able to go to the beach. That's the problem. Oh God, no! I'm not driving all the way out just to go to the beach. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> all right. Well, now we're gonna move it move it into the uh, the segment that we talk about Northeastern. So, Josh, sorry in advance, but uh, <laughs> this uh, no, I, I but I think people, you know, when when you go to Northeastern, it's a it's a unique experience because you're in a city, but there's a campus there as well, um, and it's it's right in downtown Boston. What uh, when you think back to Northeastern, what are some of the the places you ended up uh, on Huntington or or elsewhere that that you kind of want to give a shout out to here? Where where are the spots on campus that you'd be at? Oh, um, there was this place called Temps uh, on Huntington Ave. I don't think it's still there anymore, but it was great breakfast sandwiches, and then also uh, there was this one. Uh, I forget what it's called, Chicken Lou's or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah, they're you remember? done too. Yeah, yeah. So they're a lot of those places are COVID casualties. Yeah, yeah. So there's those two places were definitely something. I mean, you got uh, you got the baseball field spitting distance away too, but uh, definitely those two places. I'll give a shout out to. Yeah, Chicken Lou's is something that you know. I don't know if there's ever going to be anything like that again. No. Now that it's closed. It was like just a little shack on the side of the road, and they had. 
you know, a few, there's a few people working there and they're yelling, they're screaming, they're throwing things. Like it was like an experience when you walk yeah. in, there's this huge menu and everything's num- numbered. So you're like, oh, I want this or, and everything had Lou in it too. Yeah. So there's like the Buffalo salad or there's the, you know, ch- yeah, yeah. Chick- spicy Lou and yeah. like the T the TKO is a big TKO, one. Yeah. So it's uh that, that's one of those places where. Um, you know, I don't know how, how sanitary it was because I don't know either, yeah. there, but, uh, Great it was an experience though. and everybody always, the bus is always left, like right from, right yep. from there. So everyone grab it before you get on the bus. That's a good spot. Um, well, a, a, you know, along with that, you know, obviously Matthews is, is an amazing place to see a game. Matthews arena is the, uh, the oldest indoor arena that is still operating in the U S and it is, I mean, when there's a crowd, it's probably up there with any other place. So what was it like for you to, to play in that kind of an environment? Yeah, I mean, it's incredible. Matthews is one of the <clears throat> coolest rinks I've ever played. And just the way the student section sits above, uh, literally over top of the ice, uh, it was uh, it was fun, especially when we play uh, BU, BC uh, at home. Uh, you couldn't, couldn't move in that place. And, uh, you know, when you have a crowd that big and you have students that you go to class with every day, like supporting you there, it's, it's pretty special. This is the time where Josh can chime in because, uh, his boys in Arizona state just went into Matthews and beat Northeastern last week. So there's, there's your one opportunity (laughs) to gloat there, Josh. Yeah, thanks. Uh, did not win there uh, when I was at Arizona State. Uh, did not particularly play well there when, when I was at ASU. But they got the win the other day, so that's a big one for the devs. But, uh, Tyler, was, were there any moments um, that to this day, you know, you know stick out to you about, um, about your time playing at Matthews? Um, yeah, I mean, we had, some, uh, we had some two good teams, the – the two years that I was there and uh, my first year was uh, I think there was a this one game against Maine right before we went to uh, Hockey East uh, to play at the Garden but we played a semi game I believe there against Maine and uh, we ended up sweeping them two or best out of three we won two and it was the first two and it was probably one of the coolest I think one of my favorite memories because of how tight that game was and how many fans we had there and uh also just the way the guys played i i just will never forget that game and then also getting the chance to go play for a hockey championship which uh northeastern doesn't have many of it's something where that is a unique part about the hockey East tournament the way it's structured is it's on campus sites to start and then you get to the get to the td garden and i think you know i we had one of those when i was there where we won a series it's something about knowing it's going to be your last game at home and winning your last game yeah. at home makes it more special. Exactly. Yeah. I think that was a big thing, especially since I didn't know when my last game was going to be at home uh, the last year I played there because of COVID. So I think that game just sticks out in my mind by far. Well, you're known for, for at Northeastern at least for having some crazy celebrations. Um, and, and, you know, obviously you can look them up uh, there online, but uh, you know, and I know you've been asked about them before, but um, that was something that, you know, definitely made you stick out a little bit. What, what was, uh, what was that, you know, how those come about and, and, you know, why, why did it end up working? Yeah. I mean, uh, the first one was just, uh, that was just pure excitement. We were playing, uh, UMass at home. Uh, Kale McCarr was on the team. They ended up winning the NCAA tournament yep. that year. Uh, but they were number one in the country and they came into uh, our place. And I think it was our first time playing them that year. And, we went to overtime and I ended up scoring a goal. And I said to uh, one of my buddies, uh, like, I think that week, like we were talking about overtime goal celebrations, maybe saw something on NHL Network. And uh, I said, if I ever score an OT this year, I'm going to do the canoe. So <laughs> I ended up doing it, popped in my head. But I went by their bench and they didn't like it too much. I got a <laughs> bunch of water in the face and but it was fun. That's pretty good. Um, and then, you know, TD Garden uh, yeah. is the is obviously, you know, pretty special place to play no matter where you're at and especially uh being there for whether no matter if northeastern's at td garden it's either for the bean pot or the hockey yeah. so it's it's big time yeah yeah that was fun i mean uh that game against bu was pretty awesome it was back and forth the whole time pretty tight game went into overtime and you know i was lucky enough to get a break there and scored and uh had a good celebration but the fact that we won 
two bean pots while I was there and a hockey East title. And then going to the garden, you know, the banners up there, they, uh, we occupied both of them at one time. So going to Bruins games or whatever there, it was always nice seeing that. It's pretty, pretty cool. That is something that had never happened before, uh, with both banners. And, you know, it's something that, uh, and as you know, if you go there, but Northeastern, I mean, think about the teams that are in Boston, you got BU, you got BC, they've, they've not had that kind of a run of success. So, uh, it was a special time in the, uh, program's history all right that'll end my uh <laughs> northeastern segment I, of the uh, podcast go ahead do that all day <laughs> i've got i've got one maybe two for you so the first one and i think i know the answer to this given conversations that jared and i have had when when, when the time comes to play one of those boston teams who do you get a little more jazzed up to play against i always got like excited to play against bu for sure just because i don't know there's something about it that just don't like them that much so and I, I also had a bunch of uh, guys that I grew up playing with on that team, so it was always nice to get get one over on them. Josh now, knows uh, that's that's the same answer that I would have. Yeah. Had. Yes. Yeah. That's that. Yeah. That's what I expected. Now, BU and, and Northeastern are like right down the street, right? BC's a little oh, yeah. further away. Yeah, BC's on the outside, uh, a little bit on the outside of Boston, and uh, BU is right down the road. So we always uh, we always love playing those guys. Okay. Yeah. Been to BU. I have not been to Northeastern. So so that's. That's a trip I'll have to make at some point. For sure. My last, my last Northeastern question for you. Um, Jim Madigan had said in the past that you were a little bit of a prankster. Can you elaborate <laughs> a little bit more on that? Yeah, I mean, we just used to mess around, especially with him. He's just fun to mess around with. But uh, we used to we used to take a stick, do different little tape jobs on it right before practice. Or uh, I think uh, me and me and my buddy. Uh, Matt Philippe would uh, take a stick also, and we'd cut it down very little, little, little each day. And then eventually he was had no idea what was going on, and I finally told him. But, uh, yeah, we used to love messing around with him and also just, like, keep it light in the room, uh, you know, putting water cups under guys' helmets and stuff like that. So I, I think he – Mad Dog would take that well, though. You know, no, like he does. He, he loves he's it. He's not – you know, he's he can be the butt of the joke, and it's a, still a good time. Oh, yeah, he loves it. He li- he likes keeping it light, too, especially, you know, leading up the games. You know, you got some time off. It's it's good to have a laugh in the locker room and stuff, and he was always he was always uh, happy with that. So, Would he ever get you guys back? No. Whenever you would do something <laughs> to him? No, he would kind of just take it, honestly. And uh, I think he liked, liked the prank on him more than – we like doing it to him. I think he just liked being involved and I loved it. And everybody got a laugh out of it too, assistant coaches and everything. So it was good. Well, as everybody now knows, I went to Northeastern, but um, the other similarity we have is I was actually also in tri city with the storm. So uh, I'm not going to give a lot of, a lot of questions about Carney because literally nobody's been to Carney, whereas people might be, me might've been to Boston, but um, you know, that's a, a unique place to play as well. And, um, somewhere where, you know, there are diehard fans and, and it is, a, what was your experience like, uh, living in Kearney for, for the half of the year that you were there? Yeah, it was fun. I mean, it's basically just farms and then the hockey rink. So we always had a lot of fans and I, I loved living there. I had a great billet family and, uh, we had a great team and, you know, it was always fun playing there. And, uh, I think, uh, that was probably one of the coolest places I've played just because of how different it was from everywhere else I've played, whether it be in Boston, big city and like everything like that. So it was fun, but, uh, I would, I will say the travel did suck. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're the closest opponent is, is Lincoln, which is two hours away. Yeah. Um, and everywhere's a bus trip basically. Oh, so yeah. it's, uh, yeah, a lot of time on the bus in, in that yeah. lake for sure. <laughs> yep. That being actually a place I've visited more recently than Boston, if you can believe that, Jared. I don't know what you were thinking on that. <laughs> <laughs> it was a road trip. Well, you guys are getting at that halfway mark. You're not officially at the halfway mark of the season yet. All-Star break is is getting close. So as far as your game, what do you want to do more of? What do you want to see in the second half of the season? Yeah, I think uh, – I think- for me, I've been playing pretty well now, and I just want to keep that going. But also, just being a little bit more uh, aware with the puck, I think, uh, just in my D zone and stuff like that, less turnovers and stuff. But other than that, I think point wise and everything, and uh, just winning games is big for us. I want to be able to play in the playoffs and uh, have a run for sure. To get to the playoffs and and the run down the stretch is, you know, for this team, 
it's probably going to be maybe a little tough for guys not to start looking ahead. I, I think, you know, you're up at the top of the standings. It looks like the team's playing pretty well. I'm sure there's going to be uh, guys focused and trying to stay focused, not to get too far ahead of themselves as we get to the, the March and April of the season. Yeah, for sure. But I think also we're very confident. And so is the coaching staff that, you know, we're a good team and we know it. And, uh, you know, we we do talk about it every once in a while that we are a playoff team that can do damage and we have the team to do it. So uh, it's it's just good to have in the back of your mind to, to know what you're pushing for. So I know you're obviously focused on getting the NHL, but, you know, what would that mean to, to make a playoff run? Because, you know, the last couple of years cut short, not real seasons. I mean, the last time I don't know when the last time you played any playoff games were, uh, you know, I guess we had one last year. But yeah. before that, you know, when's the last time you were involved in a playoff run and how much would it mean to, to try to go on one here? Yeah, it'd be huge. I think the last time was Northeastern freshman year hockey. So that's been a while since then. But yeah, I mean, you know, that's why we play the game. You want to play for a trophy. You want to play for, you know, the title. So I think not having it in the last couple of years has been weird and different because, you know, you're not like last year, you know, you're really not playing for the the real thing. And uh, I think this year it's going to be on everybody's mind and everybody's going to want to win it for sure. Well, Tyler, we appreciate you coming on and, and giving us some time. And um, we wish you the best of luck moving forward. You guys have been such a fun team to watch. And uh, Josh and I are really enjoying it. So best of luck. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks to Tyler Madden for joining us on The Rain Check. We appreciate everybody who is continuing to stay with us. Josh and I are excited for another week of hockey. The Rain, though, unfortunately for Rain fans, not playing many home games coming up. So we are going to be hitting the road plenty. There's going to be road coverage. Josh is going to be joining the team in Grand Rapids. So you can tune in uh, when the team goes to Grand Rapids at the start of February, and we'll have the call for you on some of those games. But this week, uh, it's not really the way that, that anybody wanted it to happen, but it is expected that Brett Sutter is going to play his 1,000th game. And, you know, it, it's just been – quite the unpredictable season where we haven't been able to plan anything because of so many changes to the schedule. COVID-19 gets in the way, but uh, you know, I obviously, you know, this is another medium. We're, we're going to have Brett on after the game in the next couple of weeks to, you know, just kind of get his reflections on, on the moment and um, you know, get excited for, for him to be honored at home when, when we come back home. But you know, to, to play a thousand games, it's rare that it happens. Obviously, you know, guys are doing it in the NHL, a, you know, pretty cool milestone for Keith Yandel in, in the NHL coming up that he's got an opportunity to become the new Ironman in the NHL. But in the minors, guys don't hang on for that long. And this is something that hasn't been done. And, and yes, Brett Sutter has played some NHL games, but I think it's only like 30 or 40. So the majority of these games have come in the AHL and the, a lot of them over the last couple of years have been with the Ontario Reign as their captain. He has been the leader of this team. And I think it's a, a pretty special moment. And so many people have come out of everywhere, former teammates, former coaches, to try to you know pay their respects and, and just say, hey, this is cool. We want to honor the captain. So uh, a pretty pretty great moment coming up this week. Yeah, and it's definitely disappointing that it's not going to be at home. Um, but we will still honor the moment at Toyota Arena in a couple of weeks um, and uh, honor honor Captain Brett Sutter for his 1,000th pro game. Um, and I'm excited for that. It's a few weeks off at this point between now and the team's not next home game. They play uh, next week against San Jose at home. But uh, in February, at the end of February, the Rain will have a home game um, and excited to then honor Brett in that moment. But uh, it's very impressive for him, like you said, especially with all the AHL action that he's played in. But um, what sticks out is how versatile of a player he actually is. Um, there are a lot of players who can either slot in as a pure goal scorer, um, as somebody who's going to drop the gloves and fight, somebody who's you know going to be uh, one of those guys that'll grind out penalty kills for you and then contribute to the offense and spurts and things like that but he fits in absolutely everywhere you need him to. If you need him to score a goal, he can. Um, if he's going to make a pass, he can. But then at the same time, he's not someone that I don't think I would describe as someone like a fighter, 
But how often have we seen it where one of the younger guys gets tied up somewhere and boom, the captain drops the gloves and he's going to step in. Um, and, and I think that's something that really stands out for him and, uh, approaching a thousand games of, of doing all of that. Um, I think that's super impressive and he's somebody that's been around the organization for a while, um, that has some ties to the organization before that. Um, and again, it's disappointing that that thousandth game won't be at home in front of the, the hometown fans, but that moment will come eventually. And I'm excited for that. And actually, if he stays on track, he may hit that thousand mark on Thursday, which is the same day that Drew Doughty is expected to hit his thousandth game as well for the Kings. So a lot of momentous occasions here within the organization coming up. And obviously, we uh, congratulate Drew on on that milestone. More games played than any other defenseman in Kings history. So uh, pretty pretty incredible feat in in that right as well. Um, but before we let everybody go, we, you know, we're, we're trying to end things on the last couple of shows with, with doing things a little bit lighter. So the big topic in sports right now is NFL overtime. Oh man. And I, you know, I, I'm not going to, we don't have to argue about this if you don't want to, I was going to ask you something hockey related, but brought up the NFL overtime because, you know, a lot of people want to see the rules change. I am definitely more of a traditionalist in that respect, especially when it comes to the NFL and feel that, no, the rules should not change. It's fine the way it is. And if you can't play defense and stop a team from scoring a touchdown, then you don't deserve to win the game because the game is played in three phases. But uh, I was going to ask you, Josh, if you were going to make a change to – overtime in hockey regular season obviously in the playoffs we don't want to change anything it's it's the way it needs to be but in the regular season right now it's you know the three on three for five minutes and then a shootout for three rounds would you change anything to the regular season overtime in the nhl um i would first like to add that i agree with you about the nfl um Overtime. I'm glad to hear that. I think that if you can't stop someone in overtime, you probably don't deserve to win the game. However, at, I will say at first I was upset with this with the field goal thing where like you could kick a field goal and the other team would have a chance. I was still like, no, but I think that's actually been a good thing. I will admit that I've come around to that and I'm okay with it. But if you can't stop them from getting a touchdown, I don't have any sympathy. I, I agree. I do think there are better ways to go about it. In fact, I would not be opposed to, I loved the old college rules, which have now changed to like two point conversions. Yeah. Terrible. Horrible. Ball from the 25. Let's go rapid fire. Let's do, we don't need a two point conversion. Like let's do something fun. And the two point conversions over and over again. are Well, not fun. here's what I was. So here's the one thing that I was just brainstorming, which I couldn't come up with an actual, what they should do, but maybe could it be, that the issue is the coin toss. Like, that's too random. Should we come up with another way to see which team gets the ball first instead so of a coin toss? We, we want to get to hockey, but I do want yeah, to point this out. I think if you're to change the rules in the NFL, let's go full period. Let's go NHL playoff style, all right? I want a full extra quarter, okay? Put whatever, whatever the clock is when you start overtime, forget about that first touchdown wins. Let's play out the quarter. However, okay. if it is tied, get rid of ties. Ties are un-American. All right. I'm I'm an English soccer fan. I'll take a draw, but ties are un-American. So let's get rid of the tie in the NFL. For sure. For sure. And then we gotta get rid of that for sure. After after that clock runs down, if it's still tied, field goal kickoff. Let's go. Rapid fire like a shootout. You start at the 30. Keep backing them up. I just want to see it. And if you need to tap in your punter, tap in the punter. Give me the field goal competition at the end. So that's actually a good, an interesting thing you bring up. In I could see regular season, maybe not, but similar to what the NHL does or every level of hockey, when you're in the playoffs, you're, you're, you could play for a while. Like what if in the NFL, when it's the playoffs, <laughs> you have an extra quarter, you play it out till the clock hits zero. And if it's tied... You keep going. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Oh, man. I don't know. So I, I mean, that would, be a, I, that would just be stupid because the guys would get hurt. But, yeah. I, I mean, at some point, 
you know, in the playoffs with, with NFL OT, you, you do have some longer OT games. If, if you have a couple teams that don't score right away, you could just say, you know what, we're going to play out the, the quarter of overtime. You've got it. That would be more like soccer, right? When you go yeah. to extra time, if somebody scores right away in extra time in soccer, that doesn't just end the game. You, yeah. you still continue to play. Yeah. Yeah. So I think they should. They should do that. I, I like that. That's not a That's bad not, idea. I, I'm okay. okay. I'm okay huh? with that because then, <laughs> because then I understand. Then, you know, you're just everybody from the outset has that. And, but anyway, going back to my original question, anything you would change to NHL regular season or, you know, AHL regular season overtime? Six years ago, I, whatever, whatever, however many years ago they changed it. Um, I would have said, let's go three on three before a shootout. And that's what they did. And I'm happy with it. I would not touch overtime. Um, so, and that, and that reflects in the AHL. I will say college hockey, get rid of the ties. And, and this is coming from an Arizona. I think they, this year though, I think they did. They, they, right? they did. I, I believe so. But yeah. this is coming from an Arizona state guy and ASU doesn't play in a conference. So all of these other schools that ASU plays go to a shootout. The result means nothing for ASU. It would mean something for those schools. This most is an of the ASU time. problem, not a I understand problem. that. I under, where are they going to go? Where are they going to go? They can but figure something out. I agree, and they will. They will. Um, in the NHL and the AHL, I wouldn't change anything. But just to be fun, all right, you go to a shootout. Best of three, right? Okay, it's tied. No one scores for the first three rounds. Your fourth shooter, by a requirement, is the goalie. Has to be the goalie. Your fourth shooter is your goalie. Can the goalie change his padding? Like when he shoots, can he shed the pad? Like can he nope. go with no leg pads? He's got to do it with the leg pads on. Got to do it with the leg pads on. Pe- leg pads on. If you want to switch sticks, that's fine. But you have to. You have to go full uniform. Do you think any goalie would score though? Absolutely. Garrett Sparks <laughs> would score. I don't know. I think Maybe. Garrett Sparks would score. My change is that it's actually happened in the ECHL level, which is, which was great. Um, they, in the regular season, extended the three-on-three for just two more minutes. And I tell you, it's amazing because not that there's a ton of shootouts anymore anyway because a lot of games get decided, but you really, as a team, the, the extra two minutes, you have to make – the decision on your bench, are you going to keep going with the same skaters that have been playing or are you going to dip deeper into your bench of guys who don't normally play three on three? And it just gets you a more natural result. It ends up, you know, it, it causes teams to be a little bit more aggressive at the start when you have that seven minutes. And obviously you have less and less games ending in a shootout. And I think, you know, either you're going to get players that are more tired that are making a mistake or you're going to get guys who aren't used to the three on three, and then they might, you know, be a little bit more fresh, but they might make a mistake. You know what? I like that because here's another thing. Um, on Monday, the Kings played the Rangers, and it went to overtime, and eventually the Kings lose in a shootout. But at the start of overtime, the Rangers have what a minute and twenty seconds of power play time. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing: there was not a single stoppage in that <laughs> overtime period, time. and I understand that. Okay, you go five minutes of overtime. I feel like odds are there's probably going to be at least you sh- you should expect one stop in an overtime period probably at least one even if it goes all 5 minutes but it doesn't so if you've got a power play in overtime there's a good chance that if the if the game does not end with a power play goal to win it or a shorthanded goal you're going to play an extended period of 4 on 4 and what's the point of continuing to play the 4 on 4 if you just changed it from 4 on 4 to 3 on 3 in overtime and they can also make a they so can also ex- make a rule that like if you have a four on three situation in overtime, that after the player comes out of the box, you stop the clock and make go back to three on three. Like I know you it's do that. it's abnormal to just stop the clock in the middle of a of a play, but you stop the clock at the end of a period, right? Like yeah. at the end of a period, the clock runs out, you stop, you go out. So like it almost be like when that power play is over. All right, reset, reset, go to three yeah. on three. And that way you don't have time in four on four, which produces less chances. 
I think, it, I, yeah, I, and, I, and I think that if you were to, to just extend it to a seven-minute period, I think that you would have more opportunity for not only a whistle, but more open ice for the three-on-three. Three. And like you said, um, do you continue to roll those same lines that you've been rolling? Uh, because it does change the game a little bit because guys are going to get tired. And how often do you see, okay, so... I mean, the rain have played a couple overtime games recently, and I don't think any of them have. Re- I don't recall any of them being long enough to have to see the same guy go out for two shifts. But think about it. It's a lot easier to send the same guy out for two shifts when you're asking for 45 seconds on the first one and maybe 20 seconds at the end of overtime. It's very easy to, to do something like that, but it changes a little bit when you extend it. So it's kind of a mind game at this point. So I like that. I think it's an interesting idea. And let's forget about the whole four on four thing. Your power play, how often, okay, you get a power play in overtime. That's half the overtime period. Extend it a little bit more, so if you don't score, you've still got that three-on-three. Three. Like yeah. The ECHL did it a couple of years ago, and there have been no issues. I think it's been a positive thing, and I'd like to see the other leagues adapt it because it's just a, a little bit different. Now, that said, you know, I'm hating on the shootout a little bit, but in that Kings Rangers game, that was a fun shootout. Great shootout. Uh, you know, it was a really good shootout. The, the Kings have played in a couple good shootouts this year. The rain, not many, but no. the Kings have had have had a, a few rain really entertaining been, shootouts this year. Rain shootouts have been wholly uneventful. In yeah. two out of three of them, they went 0 for three. Um, but yeah. I will say one more thing about that Kings shootout, and this is just me being a New Yorker a little bit, but the the crowd at MSG was rocking. Wild and it was. I'm sure if you talk to Kings players, they were obviously unhappy to lose, but the environment there seemed almost playoff like. It was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, it did. Took me back to watching the 2014 final. So yeah, as as I think it does for a lot of Kings fans, just exactly. whenever they go. So there you go. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's edition of the Rain Check. Thanks once again, Josh. Looking forward to our next episode. Again, a, a halfway check in as we take a look a little bit more at the extended standings and, and how the rain have been performing this year. Ontario is up in San Jose for a couple this week. And on Saturday, they will be in Stockton to take on the heat before returning Monday, January 31st, our next home game against the San Jose Barracuda. We'll be on the call for that one on the rain broadcast network. And until next time, we wish you a great day.